Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter 20. And again, I, Sean mentioned this during the announcements, but this is the week. Get those invites to the cantata and take them to work with you. Uh, hit your, your neighbors. <coughs> and uh, there is a social media post. Get on there and share that and whatnot. Again, it's, it's every year for the last three or four years now, it's been our most highly attended service has been the cantata. And it uh, brings in a lot of visitors, a good chance for people to hear the gospel. And uh, so, it is just one week away. That is it. Which also means, what, Thursday? Thursday or Friday? Friday will be official. We start gaining daylight on Friday. All right, Acts chapter 20. And we're going to start reading in verse number 25. The Apostle Paul is speaking uh, to the pastors there in Asia Minor. He says, And now behold, I know... Uh, let me start that again. And now behold, I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. <clears throat> For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers, to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my, <coughs> excuse me, my parting, shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years I ceased not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, <coughs> Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, I ask your blessing upon the message. Lord, I pray that you, can, <coughs> you would control what I say and how I say it. Lord, I pray that you be glorified and honored. Please use your word to speak to our hearts and change us and draw us closer to you. Lord, use it to meet the needs that are here. And I pray if there's anyone here who has never truly been converted, Lord, I pray for that conviction and that drawing, that the message of the gospel would be clear and that even this evening they would repent and place their faith in Christ. Lord, I pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, let me get a quick drink of water here. <clears throat> Paul, and to put this back in context, it's been a few weeks here since we have been in the book of Acts. He is on his way back after completing his third missionary journey. The bulk of which he actually spent in Ephesus, two and a half years in Ephesus, and getting other churches established in that area, in that area, and really getting a really strong church established there at Ephesus itself. He had been traveling back through the same. Uh, he went back through as he left Ephesus. If you remember, he went up to Troas, and then he traveled back into Europe, 
and went back through his second missionary journey, hitting those churches, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, down the Corinth, and collecting an offering to bring back to the saints that had been suffering. So he has concluded that. He's now just headed straight towards Jerusalem, and he finds himself with a couple-day layover um, in Miletus, which is only about 30, not, not, not too far from Jerusalem, and he uses this time wisely. He calls for the elders, for the pastors of the churches in this area of Asia Minor. He wants to gather them all together. He has one final word of instruction, word of warning, word of caution. He wants to encourage them. So he gives them a final discourse, completely believing at this time, as we see in our text, that they will never see him again. That this will be the last time. And keep in mind, if when we look at, we've, we've come through Acts now, his three missionary journeys. He has spent more time in Ephesus than he has in the other locations. Um, thank you, Mike. I see what you're doing. Thank you very much. I appreciate that, brother. <clears throat> he has spent more time here than in any other location. The men, these pastors that he has called together are men that he would have trained Personally, they know Paul well. He spent a great deal of time with them. So they show up and you can just imagine the scene, the, the, the tears that are shed, how emotional uh, this event would be. This is the man who led the majority of them to the Lord, that discipled them, that trained them. They're now pastoring themselves. And, and they understand, based on the mission of him going to Jerusalem, the danger that is in store for him, besides the fact they don't think they're going to see him again, because no doubt Paul has already uh, um, uh, 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 let them know that his plan is next is to head deep into Europe. Remember, he wants to get into Spain. He wants to get to Rome. So they're aware, it is doubtful, that they will see him ever again. Now, it's likely that actually we find out later at the conclusion of the book of Acts or some, that there's some evidence that he, they did end up seeing Paul again, but they, what we, they are not aware of that at this time. So now as we come into this, this portion of Paul's discourse with them is very important. He is discussing the importance of good, strong leadership, of what's going to be taking place. It has been said that everything rises and falls on leadership, and that certainly is true, and history has shown that to be true. If we go to the Old Testament, uh, the Old Testament makes a, a statement in the book of Hosea, basically stating the same thing. It says, like people, like priests. Again, it was a time when God was condemning the poor leadership of the nation of Israel, the inadequate spiritual leadership that the nation had, and how the nation was simply following the leadership that was in place. We see it again brought up in Ezekiel chapter 22, how the priests had violated God's law. They have profaned mine holy things, the Lord said. They have put no difference between the holy and the profane. And, and in that section, the Lord is coming down on the spiritual leadership in the nation of Israel. By the way, we're seeing the same thing take place right now. In, in, in churches that claim to follow the Lord, where there is no distinction between the holy and the profane. And we see how sad that is. Again, like people, like priests, leadership is important. Matthew chapter 15, the Lord Jesus Christ speaking. He talked about the, the, they are blind leaders of the blind, both falling into the ditch. We know that leadership is important really at all levels. From the family in the home with mom and dad. To the church house, the leadership that is in place. Of course, all the way up to at a political level with the White House. If you're a Sunday school teacher, you're a leader. If you're a parent, you're a leader. 
If you're a bus worker, you're a leader. You have to take your leadership seriously. To choose to guide those that you now have a measure of influence in their life towards the Lord. Paul understood the importance of leadership. So, in this, uh, just a, a couple of day layover, instead of using this time to rest, Paul, again, I preached on this before as we went through his third missionary journey, how the guy just doesn't take a break. He doesn't. It's convicting watching his life. Here he is on his way back to Jerusalem. He has been busy. He realized, you know what? I can get all the pastors together one more time. And so he sends for them. Get them all here. All you guys come in. This is going to be the churches, which is going to be important for what we're looking at here. This is the same churches that we see in the book of Revelation. Laodicea, Philadelphia, Thyatira, Smyrna, Sardis. These are those pastors that are coming in right now to meet with Paul. Again, this is not a scheduled meeting, but Paul knows the importance of wanting to see them again. And then where he goes after them, his discourse deals with the importance of their leadership. He's going to instruct them in regards to their position in three areas. We're going to be looking at that today. Paul, and the first one, I was, I was torn in, in how to title this one. So I'm going to give up both. The first thing we're going to look at, what Paul deals with him, is it really dealt with the Apostle Paul himself and his preaching or his pureness when it came to his preaching. And then we're going to look at number two, what Paul instructs them, what they have to protect And then number three, letting them know these are the problems that will come. And so we're going to look at those from his preaching or pureness to what they need to protect to to the problems that will come. And these are great principles that fit any area of leadership. Some, as we're going to see in the other end, are more specific towards, the, uh, towards being a pastor. But these things apply. You're going to see it doesn't matter what area of leadership you have. They are true at any level. And the truth is we want to feel the God-given responsibility that we have. Whatever influence that God has allowed you to be in the lives of others, do you not want to hear one day, well done, my good and faithful servant? Paul gives out some great things here to help you finish your task. That you can have the right influence. So anyhow, let's dive into this here this morning. First off, we see it dealing with, in verses, let's start in verse 25, Paul and his preaching or his pureness. He says, and now behold, I know that, I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day. That I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. So let's stop there and look a little bit at Paul's leadership before he goes and gives them specific instructions regarding their leadership, these pastors. Paul first reminded them when he was there, the instruction, the preaching, the teaching that he gave. The phrase that he uses here is interesting, clear. I am clear from the blood of all men. He, he's obviously dealing with, with that of a crime, if you will, even. Paul's saying, listen, I am not at fault. If you pastors take your churches off course, it's not on me. 
I taught you what you needed to know. I gave you what you needed. I gave you the entire counsel of God. I am pure. I did not hold back. Paul was not deterred by fear or by the desire of popularity. He did not change his message based on how it would be received. He kept his message based on being faithful to the Word of God and what God expected of him. And he knew it, so now he could stand there before me and say, Listen, I have declared unto you all the counsel of God. And he's reminded him, You need all of this. Because he knows that he knows how, how human nature works. He knows how the sinful flesh works. I mean, we're in the book of Romans. He's going to describe it to a T. He knows that if there's things that they don't agree, that they don't like that Paul taught, oh, they can easily begin to dismiss it. They can easily try and set it aside. And Paul he said, listen, you think about what I taught you. I gave you the entire counsel of God. You need all of it. There's dangers that are coming. He doesn't hold back. He knows that what he gave them, these principles from God's word, they would need to succeed. <clears throat> so he calls them together, encouraging, please follow what you've been taught. Follow what I've preached. He knew the importance of their position. These men were leaders. They're leading local churches. So we learn, number one from this, a key for your leadership in whatever position it is, is the counsel of God. It is the word of God. If you're going to make wise decisions, if you're going to keep your family on track, your ministry on, on track, the key is the counsel of God, the word of God. Things will come in constantly trying to veer you from that, trying to change that direction in your life. Listen, you're on a wrong course then. The key is understanding what God expects. Making biblical decisions. You can think of how a breakdown in this thing. Let's just take one area of leadership that the devil has attacked. Where all of a sudden, the idea of following the Bible, God-given counsel and principles has been abandoned and the result. Let's just take the family unit. As a culture speaking, the idea of the biblical wisdom on how to lead a home was abandoned. It began to get mocked. The idea of a wife submitting under her husband. A movement taking place, thought taking place, following worldly philosophy, abandoning the very word of God and dismissing it. And boy, families are doing so great today, aren't they? They left off the wise counsel that they needed. And destruction came in. <clears throat> the Bible is not what I heard referred to back when I was a teenager. There was a motto for Burger King, if you remember. Um, how did it go? Um, Burger King was of all the restaurants their, their niche where they were trying to get more customers in and compete with the other fast food chains was you can pick what you want you can, what do you want I don't remember all those series of ads and commercials it was, it was pick what you, what you want pick what you like have a year, that's a thank you that's a, I, couldn't, I couldn't get that phrase, Paul would know that of course he grew up in the low family they were nothing but junk food all the time Actually, they weren't allowed any of it, so he coveted it every day. That's why he knows the ad so well. <laughs> uh, 
but it was have it your way. That was their ad. You know what the problem is? That's exactly how many people want their Christianity. I want it my way. I will pick and choose what I like. Paul's telling them, basically, that's, that's not going to work. I declared unto you all the counsel of God. This is what you need. Just don't pick what you think you need. <clears throat> this is why many in their leader, leadership position fail. Is because they don't want all the counsel of God. They want what they want. Again, we can use different examples at different levels, not just in, 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 we see that in churches, of course, taking place. But let me bring it home because we're simply, I'm not preaching to pastors. Let's say you're a dad or a mom in a leadership position in your home. You come in, you hear the preaching of the Word of God. And many times, I even try and use wisdom for our parents not to put you in a bad position before your kids. Which is why I will spend three hours on parenting with you with just the parents on a Saturday morning. So you're not in an awkward position before your kids in case I'm hitting something that you are doing just the opposite of. You've got little Johnny looking up at you. But listen to me. Let me just give principles where all of a sudden the home begins to fail. And this, this isn't exhaustive. This is just one area where it does happen. You hear the preaching and the teaching. You hear the counsel of God from God's word. There's no way that you can take it, and you know it. You know, no, he's not, you know, you know, pastor's not twisting that. I see it. I mean, you see it. It's there. You see the principle. But you know, but for me to do that, I mean, that would be some change. And all of a sudden, your mind begins running with how to get out of that. That's the counsel you need. It's walking by faith. It's simply, at that point in time, not looking, how can I avoid this? It's, Lord, give me wisdom. How can I fall? Lord, you know, you, you know I'm in a mess in this area. How do I change? What do I do? And you do have to use wisdom. I, Bob had referred to it in his message on Sunday, and I listened to it on Sunday morning, your message on the, on the principle of, of a good balance between two virtues. And I've seen that damage homes. I, 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 there's a counseling situation came to my mind from a few years ago with the very thing. In, in this case, the parent, in the, the, the parent wanting to do right. But, oh my, no balance. Causing so much damage. What Paul understood was it was the word of God, that counsel of God that would keep them on course. And he said, listen, if you churches go bad, I know this. It's not on me. I have given you what you need. Now, there's another point here that should be fearful if you are in ministry. I know it's fearful to me. Paul said here, of course, he's not guilty. I'm pure from the blood of all men. But then the opposite would be true. That if he didn't preach all the counsel of God, there would be a measure of guilt. This is why in James chapter 3 we're instructed, don't just jump into being a teacher. Don't just jump into being a preacher of the word of God because of the measure of accountability that you hold. 
Which is why I still, and, and I still will, teach and preach, for instance, this series on dress and on standards. So unpopular in our day, because everybody has abandoned it. But what I know what I see in the Word of God, I can't just say, you know what, nobody wants it, I'm just going to skip it. I have to give it to you. And then at that point, you know what I really feel when I'm done with that? When I've done that series, when I'm done with it? Relief. Lord, I put it in their court. I have put it in their court. In other words, I'm clear. I'm clear. There's not a one of you can stand before God and say, Pastor never told us. That won't happen. <clears throat> now, number two. Let's look at this. Paul now turns his attention to the leadership. He just made the statement that I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Now, look what he goes to. He goes into the importance that they protect. He said, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Boy, there's a, a lot here. This verse could be one whole sermon. First, what I want you to notice is this. When he comes into this, the very first thing he tells them to protect is themselves. He said, take heed to yourself first. Boy, this is so important. Take heed to yourself first. He said, listen, you pastors, you need to protect yourself. The truth is, one of my greatest obligations as a pastor is to make sure my life is right before God. The very first duty of your leadership is not the ministry, is not the position that God has put you in. Your very first duty of that leadership is protecting your own life. Your spiritual life. Guarding it. I don't care what your, what your ministry is, in any function you have, your second obligation, apart from your own spiritual walk, is the ministry. That's not the first one. It's your own walk. The truth is, because if that gets out of whack, everything else on the other side of the ministry doesn't matter anymore. Without this in place, it can lead to much destruction down the road, avoiding all the influence you have tried to have, whether that's in the area of teaching, whatever area that is, preaching, teaching, parenting. And yes, he's dealing with pastors, and I think there are a number, I don't know if, if the right word is unique, but there are certainly... Areas that have to be guarded against because of that position from ambition, which is many times so, per just boggles my mind how much that is promoted in ministry today. To flattery, um, to pride. I can go on and on with sins that are peculiar to this. What, what Paul is saying is and you take heed to yourself. The truth is this, holiness, which is a word we don't like anymore today. We want to look how we want to look. We want to dress like, we want to be like the world. But holiness is essential to good leadership. It is. Before the Lord, the key to your leadership is not going to be your charisma. It's not going to be how dramatic you are, how dynamic you are. 
It's not going to be because you're able to manipulate and, and make political moves to get into a position you wanted. What's going to make one of the most key areas of your effectiveness before God and your influence as a leader and whatever that is, is your desire for holiness. To want to stay close to the Lord. To protect yourself. To have things in place to guard your life. Take heed to yourself. Paul knew, listen, your targets, uh, there's things you have to look out for in your life. So first off, please take heed to your own life. Protect it. Next, he gets into taking heed to the flock. He said, take heed therefore unto yourselves. And then, (coughs) unto all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. So now he takes it here, to all the flock. So this means, this was convicting, to all the flock. This means I even got to protect Bob. I was trying to get out of that one. And, uh, but to all the flock. Now, let, let me cover this quickly. Cause, uh, you're probably not, sometimes there's a debate here. The word overseer here is the same word as bishop. We see them used interchangeably. If you take in the pastoral theology, of course, you know that between the word pastor, elder, and bishop. It's all the exact same position in Scripture. Each one covers a different nuance in it. If you want to get into that as we develop that in the Word of God, and we see that, and we use every single time it's used, come to the pastoral theology class. So Paul tells those pastors, first, guard yourself, and then he gets into the flock. Take heed unto the flock. A pastor, of course, needs to guard the flock. Whatever ministry in your family, whatever that is, you need to protect it. You need to provide for it. You need to guard it. Whatever it is that God has you in leadership. Again, and we'll get into the the last point here. I will dive into specific problems that Paul says will arise. But he uses the word here, which is interesting, that I want to point out in this verse. He had said to feed the church of God. The word he used for feed here, I think, is very interesting. It's it's a word we even dealt with, matter of fact, in the pastoral theology class. It is the same word, really, as pastor. Same, Same root word. No different from it. It means feeding, as he used it here, in context is obviously a major portion of this. But it has the idea of care, of concern of helping, of pastoring. And, he, and so he tells this man, listen, you have people you are over. You have to pastor them. You have to feed them, to care, to feed, to guide, to help. And of course, he used the word feed because he, he certainly understood with what he was dealing with, trying to keep them on course with God's word. As it is my responsibility to make sure There's something to eat every service. Spiritually speaking. The word has the idea of overall care. That's what needs to take place. And if you look at your family the same way, or whatever ministry you're in, is your need, your need to help it to grow, to guide it, to have the influence towards God in it, to be able to feed it as you should. 
to have the influence that's right. See, we all have influence. You do. Many people, and it is true, many people don't realize where their sphere of influence is, but we have that. We want to be able to use the influence we have for the Lord to actually point people towards truth, towards the Creator. He also lets them know, as he did choose the, to use the word overseer here or bishop in this context, it's the same word, that they are to take a leadership role, they are to lead, they're to feed, and they are to lead. And we know from First Peter that this leading of a pastor is to be by example. It's not about being a dictatorship. There's certainly times when the pastor has to make the decisions, but it's not about the It's about leading by example. But that is so important, whether you're a pastor, a teacher, a dad, a mom, whatever it is, that you lead by example with your life. I remember growing up and, and my dad and mom trying to encourage my brother and I not to smoke, which I'm glad I really never did. I remember trying it as a 13, 14-year-old boy, but never did. But they, they would say that while they're smoking, while well, my dad, not my mom. I mean, and even then it was challenging to get that. Lead by example. He also brings up an important phrase for every pastor to remember as he says this. To feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. One, it is the Lord's church. It's his. He's reminding them that. He said, listen, it's true, you're in an overseer position, but this isn't your church. This is the Lord's church, which he purchased with his own blood. So you can think of the motivation of how Paul is using that before those pastors. He's saying, listen, how dare you not feed it? How dare you not lead it right? How dare you not take care of it? Then This is the institution that he shed his blood for. He's reminding them of the value of the church before God. And that is who they're going to answer to one day. <clears throat> now on to the... Last point here, 29 through 31. The problems that would come. He said, for I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, <coughs> excuse me, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, <coughs> excuse me, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Now Paul gives out two problems that he lets them know that are going to come. He said, these are two things that are going to hit. He said, you're going to have problems with wolves from without, and you're going to have problems from within. And this is true. There's a real spiritual battle that takes place. And I, I doubt these men were, but any pastor would be so naive not to believe that problems are not going to come in. But it reminds us, listen, you have to be careful. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you. The wolves are coming. 
The pastor is the one who has to be on guard to protect from the wolves that will come. They will get to the sheep and they will cause much damage. Jesus warned about this in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 16. In the metaphor he emphasized, he was was tying it in together with false teachers that will come in. There are those that will come in with false doctrine. Those that will come in among us that will have doctrine that is contrary to the Bible. There's even a movement within IFE, and I don't necessarily know how organized it is, but nonetheless, I know it's taking place just from conversations I've had with other pastors from this heretic that is in Phoenix, Arizona, named Steve Anderson, who has people going out from his influence, infiltrating other churches with the heresies that he is putting out there. And yes, he's a heretic. I don't care how loud he screams, and there's a psychology behind that. Do you not understand that? Based on how he preaches, that produces the following. Not that it's the content, it's how it's preached. There's a whole psychology behind it. But i got news for you. He, he's, he's off in so many different areas. Israel is still Israel. There is no replacement theology in the Word of God. The promises that God gave to Israel are Israel's. The one, two, three, pray a prayer. Something's horribly wrong with that. It is not about saying certain words that get you into heaven. So that's just one example that we're having to deal with today. That we have to be on guard against. And yes, we've probably had now three instances in the last three years where I had to deal with people that were following Steve Anderson. They're not here. <clears throat> you have to, uh, he says you have to guard against wolves that will come in. Many of us probably are familiar with different churches that, that maybe we've been associated with where this took place and began to destroy a church. Division all of a sudden came in. And then he warns, get the wording of this. Now listen, this is something that I have to be, that all of us have to be on the lookout for. This comes from within. He said, also, in verse 30, of your own selves shall men arise. And by the way, he, he's saying this as a certainty. Saying this is what's going to happen. He said, I, I remember, he said, this, I warn you with tears, this is going to take place. Be on guard, protect against it. Also, of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things. What's their motivation? To draw away disciples after them. He's saying, listen, this is going to happen too. There's danger from without, there's danger from within. Those here who would be carnal-minded and can begin to wreak havoc in a church. Obsessed with getting attention on themselves. Uh, obsessed with getting some spotlight. Obsessed with getting noticed. They want a following. They want to pull disciples unto themselves. So they begin to build the relationships in the church. That's where they begin to plant the seeds of division. That's where it comes in with subtlety, maybe in the form of a prayer request. Pray for pastor. You should pray for me, by the way. I agree with that. If your text ends there, I'm good with it. You know, but I would have handled this like this. Oh. Maybe that's why the Lord doesn't have you in this position, because of how you would have handled it. 
Maybe you're not aware of everything that's taking place in regards to the decision. Maybe you have 10% of the knowledge of what has happened. And the problem is, as what Paul spoke here, is the motivation behind this. Now, if, if the, if, if, when the motivation is to draw away disciples, that's when it's going to wreak havoc. Other than that, it'll usually just go away on its own. But when there's a motivation in place oh, that, is, that is carnal, that wants the attention, that's dangerous. That's dangerous. And he warns against it. You better watch out. This is going to happen. There are those who will speak perverse things, looking to draw their own following. By the way, you can see this in a doctrinal way where this is formed... This very issue of coming something from within and starting with division in a church is why you have the entire SDA church in existence today. You've heard me mention it before, but you can go back to New York City and the First Baptist Church in New York City. We're going back before 1850. The pastor of the church was Miller. His assistant pastor, I can't remember his name. His assistant pastor got off doctrinally. Because, and that was the pastor's fault, though, to be all honest. So there, there's, but he did not follow when the pastor corrected himself. The pastor figured out when Christ was going to return. He was so proud of him, he announced it. This is the day Christ is returning. Guess what happened? The day came. Nothing happened. He gave another date. Guess what happened? We're still here. The assistant pastor. So the pastor did right. At that point, he apologized. He said, no man knows the day or the hour. I was wrong. The assistant. Mm -mm. He came up with a brand new doctrine. That he began to teach in the church. Called investigative judgment. Which is a cornerstone of the SDA church. Then you take that man who gets, ends up getting mixed up with Ellen G. White who had the dream and the vision of the fourth commandment elevated above all others. And you had the formation of the SDA church. Now, think about who Paul is talking to. I don't have time this morning. I was going to, had I had time. Think of the men that are present in this meeting. Sitting before him is the pastor of the church of Ephesus, the pastor of the church at Thyatira, the pastor of the church of Sardis. The majority of those churches in the book of Revelation, with the exception of two, would fall to these two issues that Paul is bringing up. For some, as you read through Revelation, I was going to go through them. It was wolves without that came in. For some, it was from within that it took place. So, of those he is talking to, five of them, including the church at Ephesus, including the main church, who would stay right doctrinally, they protected from without. They protected against the wolves. But problems arose from within where they left their first love. 
There was, in other words, there was a, a serious doctrinal issue that arose from within. About we can even tie it into the balance of 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 doing what they did simply out of duty with no love for God, and it led to many problems. But think of this: five of the seven churches would fall. Five. And Paul here's pleased to listen. Remember, for the space of three years, with tears, I warn you. Problems will arise. Wolves will try and come in. You'll have problems from within. Guard against it. Start with your own life. Protect it. Because you have to be in a place where you're yielded and sensitive to God, where He can guide and direct. So there's importance of leadership here that we need for whatever position we're in. Number one, take heed to your own life. Guard it. See the importance of holiness. Where is it that you have weakness in your life? Guard against it. You protect and you care for what position God has given you. You feed it. You nurture it. You help it to grow. You have the influence towards the Lord with it. Now this message certainly was for those who are Christians. But let me ask this. If you are to die right now, do you know where you would go? Are you certain that you have been converted? Listen to me. The day will come when your soul will depart your body. And that's the time you're actually dead. When your soul leaves your body, you are now dead. Matter of fact, the word means, I don't know if you know that, the word death in English, it's actually taken from the Greek, it means to separate. Death, biblically, and even medically for that matter, is when that soul leaves that body. Remember, I brought up the illustration before, when Levi was, we just got here, so he's probably 10 years old, 11 years old. And I, I, I'm trying to remember who it was that, that passed away. Um, who was it? It was before Warren. It was, I don't think, was, or was it Warren? It was Warren. It was, thank you, Sean. It was Warren. And Warren had passed away, and I wanted Levi. So he was, he was young. I said, Levi, I just want you to come up here and look. Because if you, if you have been there when that's taking place, I mean, you can see such a difference. I mean, you, you can literally, to me, it's so easy to see, once you have actually biblical knowledge and truth, where that body was just a house. That whatever was living in that house is gone. Is gone. The soul has departed. Your soul will depart your body one day, and it is going to heaven or it's going to hell. There's no in between. There's no purgatory. We're, we're not going to be able to light candles for you and pray you out of one of those. That's, that's not how this works. Do you know where you're going? Because, listen, the entire reason, we're getting ready to celebrate Christmas, the entire reason that God became a man 2,000 years ago was to save you from the judgment day that will send you to hell. You see, because this is how this is going to work. After you die, a judgment day will come. You will stand before Almighty God, and He will judge you. He will judge you based upon His law. It's pretty simple. The problem is this, you're guilty just like I am. 
Every single one of us is guilty. You have broken God's law. God is not going to look at you and say, you know what? You and I got our own thing worked out. That's never going to happen. It will be just like a courtroom, but perfect in holiness and perfect in justice. And you're guilty. And 100% of those found guilty at Judgment Day are cast into a lake of fire. Every single one. Without fail. So if you're going to stand before God in judgment, you're guilty. And all those guilty are cast into the lake of fire. You see, something has to happen. Don't miss this statement. Something has to take place where it looks as if you are perfect. That you have never sinned or broken God's law. That's God's requirement. Perfection. But none of us are. So this is where it gets really good. This is why God became a man 2,000 years ago. Born of a virgin. 2,000 years ago, the Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth, came to this earth, Emmanuel, God with us. Walked on this earth as a man for 30-some years. Think about that. Now get this. As a man, he did something no one has ever done before. He lived the perfect life. So think about this. As a man, if he was to go to that judgment day, would he be innocent or guilty? Innocent. The only one who's ever lived on this earth that would be innocent. The only one. This is where it gets even better. He lived that perfect life for you. What he was doing was fulfilling the law. What he was doing was living a perfect, righteous life for you. See, I I don't get that. Let's go to the cross. All right, you've heard the phrase that Jesus died for you. That's true. He did. When he went to the cross, this is what took place. This is taught to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. That when he went to the cross, God placed upon his son all of our sin. As if he was the sinner. As if he was the transgressor, the liar, the murderer, the adulterer. You name it. Placed it on him and he judged him in your place. You know what that did? That satisfied the justice of Almighty God. That had to be done. Because he's just. He cannot just abandon who he is. He's just. In order to save you, he had to satisfy justice. By God taking your sin upon himself and suffering your punishment, it satisfied justice. But that's not all he did. Get this. It gets even better. He takes your sin, but 2 Corinthians 5, 21 goes on to say, and he gives you his righteousness, his perfect life. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So he gives you his perfect life, He takes your sin. So on the cross, when God looked on his son, he saw your sin and he judged him. So that he can give you his perfect life. So when the father looks on you, he sees the perfection of his son. That's how he can save you. That's the only way to escape it. And he died for all. But it's only effectual for few. If you'll come to him simply in repentance and faith, he will save you. You'll be his. With heads bowed and eyes closed.
Let me start right there where I just left off. Is there anyone here that would say,